Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, Attorney Kim Hegwood with Hegwood Law Group and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Hi, good morning. Welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood, and our very special guest today, Dr. Renee Harmon. So happy to have you on the show today. Good morning. Glad to be here. So, you know, what I find is that caregivers tend to do it themselves all alone, suffer the whole nine yards. And today we're going to enlighten them and um, and we're going to talk to them and you're going to teach them, hopefully give them lots of good stuff on how to build their team because that's important help, you know. So um, so let's talk first about, you know, you and I both know how important it is, but let's kind of clarify that for our listeners. You know, why is it important to have a team? Sure. Well, um, I'll tell you, my counselor was the first one that brought this uh, to my attention. He asked me, who is going to be on your caregiving team? And I, I couldn't come up with anything except my parents, maybe my sister. And I was at a loss. Um, and as time went by, I did build a caregiving team and I realized how important it was. So it is, oh, it's vital. It's crucial because you cannot do it alone. There is just too much that needs to be done that you cannot do it by yourself. And you'll burn out if you try. And your loved one needs you, the best you that you can be in order to provide care for your loved one. If you cannot give of your heart because you're too busy doing the laundry and the dog walking, then you cannot be the best caregiver that your loved one deserves and needs you to be. So it is crucial to have a team. And and I'll, I'll say this. You already have a team. You you have a team, and, and I'm going to help you recognize who is on that team already, and then maybe we can expand it. So why do you think it's hard for people to ask for help? Did you have a hard time asking for help? Oh, yes. Oh, I am a very strong person. I'm a physician, and I know how to take care of things all by myself. And, I, and it wasn't that I... Yes, I had a hard time asking for help because I didn't think I needed help. I thought I could do it all by myself because I'm a strong person. But I did learn eventually to accept help, right? Because I, I was, I did learn to be vulnerable with my friends and family and acquaintances just to let them know what was going on at home, things I was struggling with, tasks that weren't being completed. And I would just share that. It's kind of a, this is what's happening. And because I was vulnerable, my friends could offer specific help with what I was complaining about or worrying about, and I learned to accept it. Now, first of all, I would have said, oh, no, 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 I got it. But eventually I learned to say, yes, okay, thank you. That would be helpful. And so the more I got comfortable with that, then I could ask for help more easily. But that was just me. But I, so yeah, my practice and especially in older couples, is that responsibility. It's like, we've been married for 50 plus years. I can't. It's my responsibility. I have to take care of him or her. And along with that goes, my loved one won't accept help from anybody but me. Only I know how to 
do the best job. And that's true. Only you know the best way, but there are things that your team members can help you with. Um, what else do I hear or, or have you heard? Um, those are the main things that that respond. Oh, also, nobody would want to help do that. Like just downplaying what potential caregivers would or would not want to do. You don't know that until you ask. So those are the main roadblocks that I have heard and seen. My grandfather retired to take care of my grandmother. And um, I said, well, what kind of help do you need? And he goes, oh, no, I'm her husband. It's my job to take care of her. I said, I know, but it's a big job, you know, and there's lots of there's others that, you know, can help. And for the longest time, he wouldn't accept help until his health took a decline. You know, and then he didn't have a choice, unfortunately. So, but unfortunately, that yeah, that happens or the task just becomes too overwhelming and you have to act. But again, just being vulnerable and letting people know what's going on was really helpful to me. Good. So let's talk about who should be on the team. <laughs> so who I'm going to say who is already on your team and to show gratitude and gratefulness that you do have these people on your team. It's, it's number one, a professional. It's your doctors and the nurses and the social workers and the accountants and the elder lawyers and the estate planners. All those people are there to help you and they are on your team already. Um, uh, police might be on your team if your loved one is a wanderer um, and uh, physical therapy might be on your team. Community resources can be on your team, things like the library and places of worship who have, have maybe um, care or information for you. So there's a whole host of professional and community help that's out there that's already on your team. But what I talk about most is friends and family that you haven't asked to be on your team or and who can who can help you. So let's let's just start by there. Anything you want to add there, Kim, about um, what professional and community support is there? No, we try to keep a lot of that stuff you know, in our offices, on our phones, you know, just stuff easy to give, you know, to somebody. Um, and so, because you've, you hit most of the people that, that were, you know, running through my brain as you were going through the list going, okay, yeah, that's right. That's right. And, um, anybody else, but I mean, there are a lot of people out there they, whose job is it is to support your paid caregivers. I mean, if you get to the point where you need to, I mean, gosh, they're obviously a, big member of your team, the adult daycare, the uh, support group, um, all those resources are there to, and you should count them as part of your team. But the day-to-day -day work that needs to be done at your home is going to be you and what other team members that you can corral to help you. So let's go the other way. Who doesn't need to be on your team? Perfect someone who doesn't want to be on your team doesn't need to be on your team. And no amount of cajoling or haranguing will get somebody on your team. If there's a family member who you just cannot 
get on your team because they're supposed to be. You know that, that feeling. You're you're the sister. You should be you should be helping. You should be on the team. And that person doesn't want to help for some reason. They don't want to be on your team. They'll never be on your team. Then, and you also do not want toxic family members or toxic friends on your team. And by that, I mean people who know better than you, <laughs> think they know better than you, and are constantly telling you the better way to do things, how you're doing it wrong, they do not need to be on your team. No. They're just not going to be helpful. Yeah, no, those um, were very easy in my family to recognize. <laughs> so. yeah, and it's usually the people that aren't in town, you know. They're usually far away and they don't see what the person living with the disease is is going through. So it's it's hard and you again you cannot make somebody be in your team. We had a friend who was very helpful in the beginning, would take my husband out to lunch, um, and to movies, but as the disease progressed, it just became very difficult for this particular friend to be around my husband, um, and he just had to back away. Unfortunately, he never said that to me. He just backed away, and I and I was caught feeling like, what? What's wrong? What's going on here? I can't count on you anymore. And I really think that's what was going on. But you have to, you know, your team will change over time too, as people. Are comfortable or not, and as your needs change over time, that's just going to that's inevitable. Yeah, my mom has a friend that has pretty pretty advanced Alzheimer's, and so today um, her daughter asked her to go with her to to the senior area of the rodeo where they live, and um, my mom was a little nervous about that because she you know wasn't sure what to expect. She hadn't seen her in a little bit because she's been in a facility and um and so uh but although she didn't know who she was she recognized her as somebody that she liked so they hugged and and um and walked around with each other you know and um and so it really was a really good thing for my mom today you know to to have that ex experience and so so let's talk about some uh, examples of unexpected team members well, I, I have a, a raft of stories that I could tell, but um, the story I like to tell the most is about um, I was working full time and Harvey was unable to cook anymore. Well, um, <laughs> he, I asked him to not cook and I took on the cooking when he prepared shrimp and grits. It's actually shrimp with their shells on, stirred into plain grits. I'll just take over the cooking now, thank you. And then I just became overwhelmed with that cooking. And eventually I had this great idea. I was gonna hire um, a friend who ran a catering company to come to the house and do meal prep with, with my husband and we could eat on it during the day, during the week. So I told my friend, Nan, about this great idea I had. Uh, and she said, you don't have to do that. I'll come cook with Harvey, my husband. And once a week, she would show up with recipes. And they would go to the grocery store and shop and come home and cook a meal. Now, and she would be the first to tell you she is not a cook, but she did that. 
for months. And we were created another friend, a, a renowned cook, who would come in and do that. And it gave Harvey interactions with my friends and his friends. And it gave him something to do. And he was able to um, be provide an integral thing for our family. And then Nan would stay and eat dinner with with me and Harvey. So I got some social interaction as well as a as a warm meal when I got home from home from work. So that was what, that was again me being vulnerable, saying I don't know that I can keep doing this cooking, but I have this idea. Yeah. And, then, and she just stepped up. Well, that's awesome. That's great. And um, so I find that a lot of my seniors don't have those kind of friends. And um, so we're going to be very grateful for yours today and um, for, you know, for giving your husband that experience. And so because I think no matter what kind of condition, people need to feel useful. They need to they need still need that feeling, you know, of being able to do things. And so and um, so what's the best way to, to ask for help since you reached out? What's the best way? Mm-hmm. I found it's best to be specific. Yeah, I, I did find it almost felt like one more burden when somebody said, oh, how can I help? Like, okay, now you want me to think of something for you to do. And I know they meant it kindly and it was lovely, but it, it just felt like another responsibility. So if you can think of something specific with a specific time and date, um, I think that goes better. It's harder to say no when you say, do you mind bringing us dinner on Tuesday night? We eat it about six. Yeah. Then to say, oh, I don't know, could you bring us a meal? Um, so something specific. And what else? Um, about being specific. Oh, and um. If, if, if a person is going to come be with your loved one, have be very be detailed in kind of the things that work and things that don't work. If you're, if you're asking somebody to just be with your loved one while you go do something else, um, you know, maybe have, have something planned, a, a scrapbook or a photo album to look at or a list of the television channels that, the loved, that your loved one likes to do. You know, have something goal. And, and if, if the loved one with the dementia has specific needs. Okay, the medication has to be given at 12 o'clock. You know, just be very mindful and specific about about, about all that. So you, you want it to go well. Always. <laughs> so be prepared. There you go. Let's talk about your book. Wow. So you wrote about your experience. So, and, uh, Surfing the waves of Alzheimer's, the principles of caregiving that kept you upright. And so, and um, right. so one of those principles was, you know, who is on your team? You know, expand your team. But um, so I'll just tell you a little bit about myself and my husband. We were both family physicians together in a um, in a joint practice, um, family medicine. And when he was diagnosed, he had to retire, and I became a solo practitioner and then we had uh, two teenage daughters um, they were 14 and 17 at the time so i became the primary parent and the caregiver and the manager of the office as well as home so that was a lot of responsibility <laughs> why i had to have a team but um, um 
So the the book is, I call it a teaching memoir, because I do tell about Harvey's time with younger onset Alzheimer's disease, but each chapter is named one of these caregiving principles, and so I tell stories that illustrate that, and then I describe, I talk about those principles, and then I give short practices that a reader might choose to do to embrace that principle. So things like, um, one principle is, it's better to be kind than correct. So difficult, it's so necessary, and I, I give some practices and ways to do that. Um, enter their world is another principle where you just have to enter their mindset because they're not living in your world. You have to enter their world. Um, and I talk about ways that you can do that, uh, too. But um, I got to the book by journaling. And um, I want to stress that, that that was very helpful to me. I couldn't really talk to my husband, my best friend, who is my best friend, about what I was feeling. Because he was, he was going through a lot worse things than I was going through. So I found journaling was very helpful. And I ended up journaling kind of what he was doing and going through too, so that I had this, um, I had seven full journals that I could use to, um, to help write the book. But journaling was my release. Writing the book wasn't so much of a release as, um, as an artistic endeavor, but the journaling certainly was. All right, perfect. And so, and uh, Dr. Harmon, where can they find the book? Well, it's on Amazon and any of their area bookstores can order it so from their distributors. So it's available in paperback and as well as um, uh, ebook, Kindle, whatever your preference is. Okay. And so, how can people find you? I have a website. Um, it's ReneeHarmon.com, and I watch, I write a weekly blog. It's I've been doing it for a two and a half years, and the articles are short, easy to digest articles on the blog, and they're mostly about Alzheimer's, but I'm, I'm kind of shifting. Harvey passed away about two years ago, uh, and I'm, I'm shifting more toward, you know, what my life is like now as a single person trying to navigate this particular world, but um, Alzheimer's always comes back into, into the equation. Um, I speak um, quite frequently. Um, I have a, a workshop uh, in the in the making uh, based on the book. So that's exciting. Yes, that does sound exciting. I'm super excited for you. And so, you know, most definitely. So I just want to thank you for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure. And, um, and you have a great day. Thank you. So Thanks much. for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcasts as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.